0: What corn is to Mexico, what rice is to China, what beef is to Texas. That comes close to approximating the relationship that the Inupiat of northern Alaska have to the bowhead whale. We're joined this week over the internet by Alice Connick-Glenn, host of the podcast Coffee and Quack, who is from Utqiagvik and now lives in Anchorage, to learn about the most iconic whale preparation from the North Slope, Muktuk. From KBBI in Homer, Alaska, my name is Jeff Lockwood, and it's time to check the pantry. Depending on who you ask, four or five populations of bowhead whales in the Arctic Ocean, more or less distinct from each other. Before the advent of commercial whaling beginning in the 1500s by Basque whalers and picked up by other Europeans and then by Americans, there were an estimated 50,000 bowheads throughout the Arctic. By the early 1920s, less than 3,000 remained. Today, the bowhead population north of western Russia and Scandinavia remains fairly small, the eastern and western Canadian populations total around 1,000 animals. But the other population, called the bering chukchi beaufort stock, which ranges from the eastern Russian Arctic down through the Bering Sea and over the entirety of northern Alaska, today sits somewhere between 16 and 20,000 whales, which approaches estimates for the pre-commercial whaling population. Subsistence whaling in Alaska is managed by the Alaska Eskimo Whaling Commission, an independent group that operates through an agreement with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. Commercial whaling has been banned in countries that are signatories to the International Whaling Commission, or IWC, since 1982. The IWC has existed since the 40s, but was initially only concerned with regulating commercial whaling. In 1977, it announced that it had jurisdiction over indigenous whaling as well and banned the harvest of bowhead whales by Alaska natives. This prompted the creation of the Alaska Eskimo Whaling Commission, which argued that the ban was based on faulty population estimates and brought the evidence to back it up. The IWC agreed and removed the ban. Now, spurred by the efforts of Alaska native whalers, the IWC has exemptions for people around the world who have traditionally used whales for food. They set quotas and regulations on things like what kinds of weapons are allowed during the hunt, informed by data that whalers provide. NOAA estimates that the Bering, Chukchi, Beaufort bowhead whale population is growing at around 3% a year, alongside a North Slope human population that typically harvests anywhere from 30 to 70 animals per year. With weights sometimes hitting between 60 and 80 tons, that is a considerable amount of food for a place that is at the very small end of a very long supply chain. So, so whaling season just started. What, um, well, first of all, before we get into that, just why don't you introduce yourself? Because uh, I think you'd be much better at introducing yourself than, than I would be.
1: Sure. Yes. Um, uh, my name is Alice Kanik-Glen, utkervik I was born and raised in Utkervik, formerly Barrow. Um, it is the northernmost city in the United States, um, Sabak Dunga Lumi or uh, Coffee and Quack, I um, host and produce the Coffee and Quack podcast, um, which is a podcast to celebrate and explore contemporary Native life in urban and rural Alaska. And now I he- I live here in Anchorage, uh, but I remain really close um, and maintain my relationships back home in Utkervik.
0: Is most of your yeah. family still there?
1: No, actually, most of my family lives here now. Uh, the only one who's still in Barrow is my mom. Well, my mom and, you know, all of my um, extended family, but for right. my immediate family, just my mom lives there now.
0: Well, that makes sense because um, the, the the initial impetus for me um, getting in touch with you and thinking about doing this show was was one of your, uh, and I can't remember which one it was, it was one of your fairly recent shows um, of Coffee and Cock that I was listening to. On my way back from Anchorage, and you were talking about you were you have one of your guests was you guys were sitting around the table basically, and you you just kind of as a throwaway you said, "I'm sorry, you know, usually I have muktuk, but I just ran out, and my mom <laughs> is supposed to be coming and bringing me some on the next visit." And I was immediately like, "Cause I'm from Louisiana, and every time my mom would come visit, she would bring me like a sack of goodies yes. from there." So uh, let's just start out with with the basic question. So what exactly is Muktuk. I know it has something to do with whale fat, and that's about it.
1: Right. So muktuk is um, comes from the bowhead whale. Um, so this is the kind of the the main food source in northern Alaska. That um, our tribe has been hunting and whaling bowhead whale um, for ever since before Rome, <laughs> for thousands of years. Um, And so what muktuk is, is the part where the skin meets the fat on the whale. So if you'll, if you see pictures, it's black and like a little bit white or pink. I like to call it millennial pink. (laughs) 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 And uh, it's normally just served frozen or raw. Okay. Um, But there are many ways and many preparations um, that everyone has their own way of eating it, their favorite way of eating it. My favorite way and the way that I eat it is... Uh, definitely, f- mostly frozen. I don't like it when it's kind of you know flimsy or kind of um, melted. I like it frozen, so it has a little bit of crunch in it, um, and with soy sauce and vinegar.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, so you just like dip it in, kind of like sushi.
0: <laughs> so, so when it comes off the whale, like how thick is the is the layer of of fat?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, it has to be really thick to live in the Arctic. The Arctic is very cold, as we all know. So um, I would say it's at least a good 12 inches, a good foot Oh, wow. Thick. Um, but it also depends on the whale, right? So right. there's special words in uh, Inupiaq language about how fat the whale is. Usually like the small, like butterball, they call them butterball whales, are called inguto. And okay. we took whales, and those are the ones that are like fat and young, so it's soft. You okay. know, it's just like butter. Right. You, you bite through those uh, those whales like butter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the older ones, the fat might be actually a little firmer. Yes. Okay.
1: Um, Still good, though. I mean, it's still delicious and nutritious and everything. It's just, it's got a little bit different texture.
0: Yeah, well, in general, like, marine mammal fat is is it's really not very saturated, right? So it's pretty liquid at, like, room temperature. It's soft. Like, seal oil is totally liquid at room temperature, right?
1: Yes, definitely. But this fat is, um, it can be rendered down to be, you know, kind of like seal oil, but it's not as liquidy okay. as steel oil for sure it's got some you know it's got some substance
0: right so it'd be more like like chicken fat and duck fat a lot of poultry fats will be kind of they're soft they're not like totally liquid but they're soft they're not like pork fat or you know like something like beef fat that's really saturated that's hard you know even at room temperature it's pretty right. it's pretty firm so when this yes. when this comes out it's it's you know you would if you were to compare it to something like pork fat like the raw fat would be like looser softer feeling than that
1: uh. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a weird question. I, I, never, I've never well, really seen like raw, well, okay. So like bacon. Okay. So I'm thinking like bacon, yeah. right? So the fat, like the fatty part of the bacon, Yep. it's weird. Cause we don't cook it. Right. So I, I have to like right. totally change my thought process well, about it's, like bacon. <laughs> I,
0: know, I know this sounds really weird too, but I actually, we had, there's kind of a running theme on the show of like the texture of different fats and how that plays into how we cook with um. them. So okay. that's sort of where I'm, <laughs> I see. these questions are totally bizarre, but they, they probably would be if you, if you
1: haven't really thought about it, didn't yeah. think
0: about fat texture a lot. Like I kind of <laughs> yeah. weirdly do. So then, so the skin is, the skin is also attached in, in Muktuk, right?
1: Yes. And the skin is really thick too, right? So, um, and we don't eat like the outside layer of the skin, um, you know, because it's, it could be, it's just like cleaner if you eat further in right so it's where the uh, the black part is the skin um, meets the blubber okay and that's what muktika is
0: and is that you know because've I've attempted to eat like pig skin and it's extremely chewy and sort of difficult to get through is is the is whale skin similar is it is it a real chewing workout
1: um some are <laughs> <laughs> I would say. Yeah, and I think that if it's not as fresh when it's been in the freezer for a long time, it's a little bit chewier. But I would say the blubber is actually chewier than the black part, the skin. Really? Yes. Huh. It, the skin is more of like a, I guess like, hmm, the like the only thing that's popping up in my mind right now is baleen. <laughs> but like you can't <laughs> eat baleen, I mean you don't eat baleen, but right. like it's... Yeah, it's not very chewy. The chewy part is mostly the blubber.
0: Okay. Is uh, the muktuk, does that come from the entire animal or is it only specific parts of the fat? Like, is it just the back or is it just the belly um, or does it come from everywhere?
1: No, it comes from everywhere. Um, And also there's a special part of the whale, uh, the flipper, and um, that one is the chewiest. So much so that they give like teething babies the, it's called Akikak in Inupiaq, and it's uh, it's the chewiest muktuk part of the whole whale. Um, and it's you can tell that it's akika because it's got black and then blubber and then black on the end. So normally muktuk is just kind of like the the skin and the blubber, right, on, right. on one piece. Um, but this one, it's like a it's got it's kind of striped. So it's black, pinkish white, and then black again yeah, babies love it. Babies (sighs) love to chew on this, you know, cold. You can imagine, right? Because like if you're teething, like your your gums are probably all um, messed up and sore and uh, so so to have like a cold chewy blubbery thing to suck on and <laughs> not <gnaw> on <laughs> helps out <laughs> I, could, I
0: could see I could see how that would be appealing um okay so after so then it's it's it comes from from the whole from the whole animal does the does the tail is there is there also a muck tuck on the tail or is that just a different thing altogether
1: um so there is some um at the end So it's not like the flipper part. It's they cut the tail off um, when they bring the whale up. Okay. um, For some reason, I think to get the rope easier around the end of the tail, they cut the the back tail off. But yeah, I mean the muktuk goes all the way back there too as well.
0: So basically, everywhere that's not flipper on the whale, and that's not like you know, well, presumably it's on the head as well. Then, so it's everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. Alright, so we've got the whale landed and we've taken, when you're taking off the the blubber, does it come off in sheet? Is that how it works?
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, the whale that's been landed and brought up to be um, cut up and portioned out and um, served to the community. So what they do is they have, they start from the top and they make an incision on the top and then they get a hook um, and then they hook around the uh, blubber and the skin and they pull. Um, and so as someone is walking away, you know, holding this hook, people are cutting as it kind of like peels off. Right. And uh, last fall, we didn't – it was a weird year, you know, kind of uh, everywhere, really. Yeah. Uh, especially in Anchorage. It was so hot oh, for yeah. like several weeks. Um. And last fall, unfortunately, and in the first time ever in my memory, we didn't catch any whales Um, I think they didn't even see any. Like they were just not coming through our town. Um, Other villages, coastal villages, they were seeing whales and they caught a few, but they were just not coming towards Barrow at all. Mm. Um, And I think that if they had gone further and further out, they might've seen them, but it it can get kind of dangerous in fall um, because we have fall storms. Right. So we can't go too far out on those boats, I mean, you can, but uh, it's dangerous. It gets,
0: yeah, it gets sketchy.
1: So we were really worried. Uh, I was really worried personally that it would be like that again this spring. Like, what? This is weird. It's not. You know, the whales aren't here. Why? But uh, just as of, I think the first of May, and they they caught like three whales in in one day. Oh. Um. Yeah, and so we were so you know so excited that. Uh, oh, it, it was actually the thirtieth. The thirtieth of April. They caught they caught whales and they I think we're up to ten so far. Oh wow. Um since May ten. What's wow. today? The thirteenth.
0: Today, yeah, the thirteenth.
1: Yeah. So I, I am finding so much comfort in that. Just knowing like last fall was such a weird season. And then, you know, COVID hitting, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is Right. You know, the world is upside down, <laughs> really. Uh, but to, I find some comfort in knowing that at least our spring whaling season has been good and successful so far and normal. You know, it, it kind of gets my mind out of the news and um, just to be, you know, the, the whole town like lights up, you know, when uh, it's all buzzing. So what they do is a whaling crew will prepare the whole like every part of the whale will be prepared um, at the the whaling captain's house and then anyone in the whole community can come and pick up a little baggie of every part of the whale um, with like a little bread roll and some fruit yeah it's just been I can't remember why I was getting so far (laughs) into it but (laughs) it's been so comforting knowing that we're having a, a really good and normal spring whaling season.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I would imagine, especially now, you know, where, we're, you know, the supply chains are still holding up for now, but who knows? 10, right. ten whales for, what? because what's the population of Barrow? It's what, 5,000-ish?
1: Yes, about 5,000.
0: And so that 10 whales feeds a lot of people, I would imagine.
1: Totally. And it's not just immediately, like a, an immediate meal. It's also, we have, we serve, the, the whaling crews serve these throughout the year. Um, so for summertime, we have something called Nalukatak, which is like a celebration. Um, they, I think they call it the messenger feast is like the English translation or whatever. But it's where they, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've seen the videos or anything, but like there's a a blanket toss. So right. it looks like a trampoline, like a sealskin trampoline. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so what all of the successful whaling crews will save a part of the whale to be served just for Nalukatak. Um, and so that will be everyone gathers together outside, um, and the whaling crew serves the food, and then also during the holidays. So for uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, all of the whaling crews provide a portion of the whale to be served at the churches for a celebration, and you know just also everybody to have eat to eat throughout the year. Um, in the we kind of store most of the catch in an ice cellar, which is it's basically just like a hole like 20 25 feet down into the permafrost it's, mm-hmm. it's like a a freezer you know God's freezer <laughs> natural freezer um, and so we'll store a bunch of food down there for to bust out throughout the year
0: so when you're when you're preparing it like or when you're preserving it it's not typically salted it's just you're just freezing it is
1: nope yeah it's just going into the frozen ground okay yeah
0: so I have a question about the whaling crews are they is that are there certain families that do most of the whaling, or does every family sort of contribute somebody to go do it? Or how how do the crews assemble them assemble themselves?
1: It's normally by family, where you know, kind of like your extended family and your immediate family is kind of they all kind of belong to one crew. But it doesn't have to be, you know, it's it can be just like I think that the one of the youngest whaling crews. Um, I think are just, like, a bunch of friends. Um, Well, obviously, they're probably distantly related or, like, they're cousins or something, but, like, um, it doesn't have to be exactly by family. And then a couple of my, um, you know, first cousins are on different crews than my own. It just depends on... You know, if you're willing to put in the work, who's willing to put in the work? Because um, it's not, even though we only whale in the spring and the fall, it's a year-long preparation process. Right. You know what I mean? Because you need to prepare the boats. You need to have hunters to get the um, sinew for sewing um, the boats, which it comes from the tendons of a caribou. Um, you need to have seal skin uh, for the boats to be built. So they need to be um, caught. Cleaned, stretched, bleached—you um, know, there's just a whole process. So,
0: so they're um, actually most of the whaling still takes place in skin boats.
1: So in spring, yes, okay, uh, definitely because those boats are easier. They're durable. Um, so when you go the the ice, so Barrow is a coastal town, but the ice um, comes in in the winter time um, to freeze over. You know, the whole ocean. But um, in spring, the ice hasn't left yet. It leaves in the summertime. Like, well, it stays usually well into June. Um, So the ice is, you know, still in the packed ice and hasn't melted yet. And some of it doesn't melt at all, right? Uh, But that's not usually the shore fast ice. Anyway, so you have to bring your boat out onto the ice to go to the open leads of water where the whales are passing through. Um, So you have to bring your sealskin boat tied up to a sled and um, to a snow machine to be brought to the water's edge, and you can't really bring, you know, <laughs> a like huge a, boat right, out there. A <laughs> of
0: skiff. So, so, so weight is actually like paramount
1: in this, yeah. And the ice is really, you know, the ice is moving, right? So, it's right. got there's like mountains of ice, you know, there's walls of ice, and all of that has to be broken down so that the snow, machi- snow machines can safely get to the water's edge, and the most durable. Um, and it just makes the most sense, you know, to bring uh, the boat that we've kind of perfected over, you know, so many years. Right. And it's also, they bleach it out in the sun so that the whales can't see, you know, if they're looking up towards the light. They don't see a dark um, spot. Right, exactly. Um, but also, so, yeah, so in the springtime we use the, we call them umaks, the sealskin boats. But um, in the fall they use aluminum skis because the ice... It's gone. Is, um, oh, okay. It's gone. Yeah.
0: That makes sense. So yeah. is there is there also is there also consideration of the noise of the, the engines as well? Or do whales? Yes. Like, whales are I'm, smart critters, so I would assume that they're yeah. somewhat difficult to hunt.
1: Yes. Um I know that there's there is a lot. Surrounding noise too, and I think that <laughs> carrying a boat out on the ice, you know, at the end of a snow machine is probably really. I was like, oing, 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 oing. <laughs> right, um, uh, and and there's something else that I wanted to say too. So uh, in, in about culture, that the whales um, choose the uh, the the most prepared, uh, humble um, whaling captain to give itself to us. Like it kind of just. Gives itself, really. You know, it's not so much uh, like a hunt-hunt, really. Right. But, I mean, obviously it is uh, to some end. But also we we have this idea that it's a gift. You know, it's giving itself to us so that we can survive another year. Right. Um, and so, like, there's just a really strong spiritual, like, connection with that, too. <laughs> ¶¶
0: when they're hunting from the, the sealskin boats, presumably they're, everybody's got a harpoon and they carry the harpoon?
1: No, nope. actually. So it's like there's this, uh, a whaling crew, you kind of have to work your way up. Like you can't just create a crew, join and like go out and... You I'm know, the harpooner just, now. <laughs> yeah, no, it takes a long time to get to, you know, being the striker, they call him the striker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you've got to start by just like going out, cleaning up after people on the ice, like making people coffee, you know, <laughs> you have You're to the start green from horn. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, bring food, you know, like uh, some of the crew members will be making food, uh, at home and then they'll have to go and bring the food to the crew, you know, out on the ice. But no, so what, normally happens is you'll set up a camp, um, a, just a little canvas tent out there. Um, and then you have your boat that's ready to go. So it's just right on the edge of the ice. And you even kind of like hide a little bit behind it so that, you know, the whales don't see you kind of just, you know, hanging out there.
2: Right.
1: And so it's sitting there on the ice. And once a whale comes up and is passing by, you know, to breathe, they slide the boat just, you know, so quietly, so seamlessly into the water. And we have one striker and then one person that also I think holds the um, the gun so there's a, a harpoon that has a tiny bomb attached to the end of it
2: okay um,
1: and then if that if that doesn't get the whale quick so the the idea is to you know to be as humane as possible right we don't right. want a wounded whale that's super dangerous because, you know, you're in the water in a sealskin boat. And, like, this whale <laughs> With a is several
0: dry. ton animal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's flailing about. Um, so it needs to be quick. You know, we need to hit it in the right spot. And the right spot is right at um, the base of the neck. Or, you know, like right there... I guess we're we're on radio. You can't see me pointing to the back of my (laughs) neck, but like, um, you know, just to to get it in the sweet spot so that it dies as quickly as possible. Um, But sometimes they also have a harpooner and a a guy with a gun, a whale gun, Uh to make sure it's as quick as possible and gets in the right spot. Um, Yeah, and so that takes many years to work your way up to be the striker because it's such an honor, you know? And it's not always the captain that is the striker.
0: Um so Yeah, well it's yeah. A, it's a lot of responsibility for sure.
1: Yes. You don't want to
0: totally. let, let some rando do it. Do yeah. they and do they still I, and I'm not sure if I, I don't know if this was um ever part of the Inupiaq tradition, but I know like in some whaling cultures they would have bags tied to the, the harpoon, like buoys basically. Yes. That would that would, you know, if the whale tried to tried to sound then it would tire itself out by having this, you know this air filled sack attached to it and it would wear itself out. And I know that, yes. I know they used to do that in the commercial whaling out of like Nantucket, but is that also something that, that y'all do?
1: Yes, totally. That's, uh, they have these bright orange, I think they call them in any buck of a duck book. Yeah, the floats. But you know, yeah, traditionally they were probably like the bladder of a seal or something. But yeah, we have these uh, bright orange floats. They call them floats. So that, yeah, if the whale tries to dive or, um, you know, tries to get away, it's still got this huge buoy thing that it has to carry around and it, yeah, it tires itself out.
0: And then, so after that, once the, once the whale is finally, you know, surfaced and, and then you just basically tow it into shore, right?
1: Yeah. It'll, um, turn around, you know, float on its belly. Um, and then they'll attach the ropes to the tail. That's where you tie, you know, make all of the the knots or whatever to make sure that you have a hold of the whale and you can bring it in by the tail. And even still today, it's and power to pull the whale up. Yeah. um, That's what I was like.
0: What do you, I mean, it's, that's, that's, (laughs) that's a big animal to be dragging up the up the beach.
1: Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's it's a big feat, you know? And so I always like, it's so cool to see just like everyone pulling up away. Wh- it's like this, you know, kind of a metaphor, right? It's kind of corny, but like, it's also really cool. It's like, wow, you know, uh, it makes you feel really good. And and anyone that helps bring the whale in, like they get a share, right. not just a normal, you know, like go to the house, pick up a little piece share, but like you get a bigger piece, Any anybody who helps. And so this year, you know, there was such just so much anticipation um, and just willingness, people willing to help because they didn't know it would be uh, another whaling season like last fall, you know. So there was so much help, like the whale got like cut up, you know, like because uh, everyone is just so thankful and so excited to to get food.
0: Okay, how, do, how does the distribution work then? So presumably all the, the whaling crew gets a... A full, like, is it, does it work like a fishing boat where some people get full share and some people get half share and some people get, you know, a quarter share and maybe some people get like a day <laughs> wage? <laughs> is it, is it that or how does it, like, how do what's the, what's the, what's the communal process for divvying up this, the, the animal?
1: That's a good question. I don't know, um, totally, like, I'm not, uh, completely sure. My dad was a whaling co captain for a while and my sisters went out with him, and my older sister and my younger sister, Roberta. They would go out on the ice all the time and follow my dad whaling. And I think I only went once. I only remember going once when I was young. So I don't really know all of the ins and outs yet. I'm still learning. Um, But yeah, so I know that there are different shares. And first, I know the whaling captain gets, you know, the prime primo supremo share. Yeah. Um, And then the crew, obviously. And then um, I know a specific amount is set aside to serve for the whole community that day or like, you know, the next day. Right. Um, and then a certain amount is saved for celebrations throughout the year. Um, and then anyone who has helped in any way, bring the whale in, cut it up, clean up, prepare, you know, all of those things, any way that anybody helps, they receive a share. So yeah, it is, I don't, I'm not really familiar with fishing, (laughs) fishing boat stuff, but (laughs) I'm sure it's pretty similar. Yeah.
0: That's basically how it works. You know, The, the person who's, the person who's new gets a little bit and then the people who've been doing it for a while get more, and yeah, Skipper gets more, and then whoever owns the boat gets <laughs> all the rest. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now we've got we've got the whale up on the beach, and we've we've peeled off the muktuk, and let's get back to the muktuk in a little bit because I want to talk about the rest of the whale. What are what are the choice bits of a bowhead whale?
1: I mean, it just depends on what you like, right? Uh, everybody has a different taste. Um, What's um, your
0: favorite then?
1: My favorite, well, so I don't really, I love mukduck in general, right? Um, but my best, like my favorite preparation of the whale um, is definitely mikiguk, which is um, fermented whale. It's basically whale meat, um, muck blubber, um, blood <laughs> even. <laughs> and it's fermented from like, I think 10 to 14 days um stirred twice a day in a cool space uh in like the garage or something like that and you 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 stir it twice a day so that there's no air bubbles
0: you just put it in like a like a bucket or like a container of some kind
1: yes okay um and that's what me and my sisters we were just texting (laughs) earlier we were like fighting about it we're like okay mom where when are you coming back like are you coming (laughs) into town soon because we are ready for that mickey got she said that she uh she just finished it. Um oh. so it's it's ready basically. Right. Yeah, so we're um
0: So is there in order to ferment it like is there a is there like a specific does it just happen naturally or do you have to add salt? Do you have to add like specific um other ingredients that contain whatever bacteria are doing the doing the work?
1: No. It's all natural. It's there. It's ready to go um as but you can only do it with fresh fresh muktuk fresh bread uh fresh blood fresh meat okay um you know that's it's, it's kind of like a specialty it's it's like a delicacy um because it's very um you know it's it, it depends on the time it's it has to be around whaling season spring or fall i don't even know if people make it in fall as much i know for sure in spring um and i think it's just you know it has to do with the conditions or whatever temperature probably yeah. Um no. So it, yeah, it, you just put it in a bucket and it does its magic. You huh. just got to stir it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um my partner Amos loves Mickey up too, but uh he my he's always super excited when my mom comes into town to bring um whale steaks. Okay. Um and so he's all he loves whale steaks. I'm not like that big of a fan, but so- um, I still like it. I'll so are they like,
0: I actually, you know, it's funny because <laughs> the, the anatomy of a whale, presumably, it's going to be very different, you know, as far as like the meat's structure than a terrestrial animal because it doesn't mm-hmm. have to support its weight. So presumably right. a whale is not like in a, you know, in like a cow or a pig, the tenderest and, you know, the quote unquote choicest parts of the animal come from along the spine you know, that's, that's where everybody wants their T-bone steaks and their pork chops and their, you know, filet mignon and all that, because it doesn't get very much work. But in a whale that's not, it doesn't have to support itself. So it doesn't have legs. Like, you know, it's not going to have shoulders that are tough. (laughs) Is all of the, is all of the meat actually going to be, is it fairly tender?
1: Yes, it is. Um, And it's very oily, like you would imagine, you know, it's From a big fat whale. Yeah. It's all really tender and almost, I think almost the whole, almost all of the whale, even the meat, you can eat raw. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just feel like we're, we live in such a, we're so lucky to live in such a place where all the food is so nutritional that it can be eaten raw. Um, And yeah, but Amos likes to boil his whale steaks. Um, My mom would usually... uh, a bread, cook it in um, fat, <laughs> more fat, I guess, uh, and uh, and onions, and uh, I didn't really like it that way. Maybe that's why I don't really care for whale fat or whale steaks as much as Amos does. But when Amos just boils them and but leaves the um, inside a little bit raw,
0: uh-huh.
1: ooh, that's just like so <laughs> good, so tender, so juicy, delicious.
0: Huh. So, okay. So what about, what about organs? Because I, I I love organ meat and I love talking about it. So is, are, are some of the organs like, I know like polar bear liver is, you know, everybody knows it's off limits because of vitamin A is whale. Can you eat everything? Or is there, is there some that you can't really eat?
1: Um, That's a good question. I think, um, so when, when the whaling crews are serving the, the catch and you get a piece of, you know, a small piece of the whole part of the whale, I'm trying to think of like what those parts are.
0: Right. Um, livers, kidneys.
1: I know kidney for sure. Um, heart, intestines. There's a a lot a long process of cleaning intestines and making sure that they're good to eat.
0: Right. Yeah, chitlins. That's what we, that's what they are mm. in the South. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the, it's really good. Um, I'm trying to remember like what this bumpy meat like. There's a this bumpy meat that I really like, and I I've never known what it is in like like the real name like in English and stuff. Every time uh, a whale is caught, you can go and get a little, you know, baggie of all these pieces and I just my favorite part of that little baggie is the bumpy meat. And the I don't know what that meat. is. I think what, it might be kidney.
0: What but, does it look like? Um, like what color is it?
1: It's um it's all about the same color like a, a reddish brown. Okay. Um besides the muktuk, right? right? Um and it's got like the the texture is bumpy. It's got like little almost like little I I would say like pearls. Of like kind of rubbery.
0: Well, the first thing that that makes me think mm-hmm. of is 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 some of some tripe, but you know, which is the stomach lining of a cow. Yeah, they have they they have little bumps on the inside, but they they use that to process vegetation, which is not really a concern with whales. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> huh? Yeah, I'm not
1: sure. I, I, now I'm curious. I'm going to have to ask somebody. But yeah, that's my favorite part of those little baggies. Um, and also, oh, this is what I was going to tell you earlier. I was I just. Remembered. Um, there's also a special preparation of muktuk. Uh, it's where you boil it, and but you can only do it as soon as the whale is caught. So there's only a certain amount of, it's, and it's called unalik, okay. um, and it's boiled muktuk essentially. Um, but it can only be boiled right when the whale is caught. You can't like store muktuk, frozen muktuk, and then boil it later. Why is that? To is make the, unalik
0: is the texture all wrong if you I, if you freeze it.
1: I don't know. Like I, I I've never understood why that is. Um, and I know that my sister told me that like Yupiks will sometimes, um, you know, who don't traditionally catch whales, mm-hmm. um, they they will actually boil it and make Unalik. Um, but it's, you know, I guess it's just like, since we have it, we know we're not supposed to do it like that cuz it doesn't taste the same it doesn't look the same it doesn't come uh-huh. out right it doesn't come out as good as it was if it's fresh <laughs> that's
0: actually a good a good segue it's something I've, I've always been sort of curious about like is there like a rivalry between different villages about who like makes the best muktuk like do you guys like kind of give point hope the side eye or something about like you know there it's not quite as good over there as it is here
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh i love that that's great um <laughs> No, I don't think so. At least um, on the North Slope, we we generally all do and eat and prepare the food, uh, I would say, about the same way. I'm trying to think of any, like, substantial differences. Um, I've had Mickey up from Point Hope. Oh, no, no, Dolvik. Oh, and that was just amazing. Um, It tastes the same. You know, it's as good as it does in Barrow. Um, But this is the thing. is like between Whaling crews. That's where it's like, oh, yeah. Because, like, everyone is um, sharing their catch, right, at Nalukatuk in the summertime. Uh Um, And so there'll be a couple of crews serving together. And then that's when you'll get, like, real judgy. Like, oh, yeah, this is (laughs) not as good as this cruise, you know? (laughs) Like, this Mickey up doesn't taste like it's all the way done yet, you know, compared to (laughs) this cruise or whatever. So there is a little bit of, like, a... You know, a little bit of a rivalry um, between the preparations uh, in and in different whaling crews. But um, I haven't heard so much about different villages. I'd say it's all about the same process. and But it's also just about preference, too. Because it's like, you know, some hunters will insist on, you know, processing an animal a certain way. And then other hunters won't do it as maybe, you know, well or as carefully. And it's kind of just like, okay, well, that's just how I do it. Um, and some people don't like it that and then, way. And then they, then they all
0: yell at each, each other and call yeah. each other idiots. You're wrong.
1: <laughs> no, you're wrong. Yeah.
0: There's
1: more than one way to skin a cat.
0: <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> um, are So are, are bowheads the, are they the only whale that are common off of Ukiakvik or are there more, or is that just the most common?
1: Um, There are different whales, right? So there's belugas too. Um, Oh,
0: you guys have belugas up there. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. They'll come in huge uh, pods and it'll... Yeah, I've seen belugas um, at home. They look like waves, right? Because they're all white. It just looks like white caps on waves. But yeah, so there's beluga whales. We eat those as well. Just not as... It's not as like cornerstone, I guess, as bowhead whale. Bowhead whale is like... That is our... You know, that's our main food source. That's kind of like iconic for us. It's it's like, you know, the food. Our our uh, high school mascot is the Whalers. You know, so like (laughs) that's just we're definitely bowhead is like um, you know it's kind of synonymous with who we are. Um, And then, but we do eat beluga, not as much. um, And there's not really I don't know if there's a season for beluga or what i'm pretty sure like they only come uh, obviously in the summertime
2: right um
1: yeah and then i know that there are other whales but we don't eat them um humpback whales yeah there's some humpback whales um they're a little bit further south like if you go for farther away
0: right Um, yeah i've seen a lot of them in the gulf of alaska but
1: yeah Uh, i think that the oh and sometimes we get killer whales uh very not very often though Uh um but we don't eat those either. Uh, we only eat bowhead and beluga. Okay. Whales.
0: So it's pretty. So basically, at any given point in Utqiagvik, people are going to have a few ziplocks of muktuk kicking around.
1: Muktuk, yes. And
0: is there? Do they? Does every? Do they then have to reserve some for every time they go to like Anchorage or every time they go to wherever else they go where they have family to bring?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you're always like. Um, the good thing about it is that it's it's pretty regular, right? So spring and fall, we go whaling. So we have, you know, an, a, we try to have an abundance. Um, but, and then so what you'll do is like, okay, you know, probably just like down south too. Like, oh, I got to clean out my freezer and make sure that I have room for the fresh muck duck. So like you'll give away your salmon or whatever. You'll give away your whatever, whatever you have in your freezer to make room for more salmon, well, it's kind of like what the muktuk thing is too. Right. Um, yeah, at any given moment, like in any Inuvialuk household, I can almost guarantee like there will be muktuk there in the freezer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, if, and if there's not, it's because you live in Anchorage and your mom hasn't been to visit recently. <laughs>
1: yeah, I am uh, on a deficit for sure. Like, I haven't had any muktuk, you know, since forever. So I'm so anxious for my mom to come back into town to bring some fresh muktuk, and I. And for my podcast, you know, I I do usually record at home in my apartment on my kitchen table, usually with mukta cut up for us to kind of just pick at, um, you know, just kind of like a thank you. Uh, And it feels more natural to speak with someone around food than it does, you know, with just like a microphone in their face. So, yeah, so it's a big part of what I do, too. And uh, I think... You heard an episode where I, I was offering Mukduk, but I didn't have any. Um, and it felt so wrong, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. You, you seemed very upset when it happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, it is. And that's the name of your, your, your podcast is Coffee and Kwak. Am I saying that right?
1: Yes. Okay. Um, And Kwak is uh, frozen or raw meat or fish. Um, and so there is a part of the whale, and it's not Mukduk, but it's uh, the meat. And we call it Agwewek or bowhead whale. Uh, clock, which is just frozen meat just for eating.
0: And then you, <laughs> you just slice it really thin? and
1: I like little tiny cubes because okay. it keep, maintains the crunch, you know, of the frozen okay. meat. Um, and uh, usually with salt and sometimes pepper or, you know, wh- whatever. Yeah, usually salt. And then, you know, what's really cool is that there is a Korean restaurant in Barrow Um, and it's called salmon lees. And everyone eats now, eats their mukduck with kimchi. Huh. Yeah. It's like the best thing. Yeah. It's like (laughs) because you know, there's like a spicy vinegary kick to the kimchi. And it's like just the perfect complement to, you know, like a frozen mukduck, like oily, um you know, kind of mild. It's like, it's got like a mild fatty taste. So it's just like, you know, eating it with kimchi is just awesome.
0: That's actually kind of an interesting sort of segment because I am, I'm curious, like, are there cooks who are taking a very traditional food that has, you know, some very traditional ways of being prepared and doing like things that are more like out of the Western or the European or like Korean, you know, Eastern Asian traditions with it? Like since that's around, like, is that a thing at all?
1: Totally. Yes. Everyone, like, there's, I don't know if you've ever heard of like Eskimo salad. That's a thing where it's mukduck with, you know, root vegetables and seal oil and other, th- I mean, it's more of a, I, I haven't really eaten a lot of it um, growing up, but I know that it's there. Um, obviously, the mukduck and kimchi, which is really cool. Um, and pickled, pickled mukduck, which I, is actually, I'm sorry?
0: No, no, no. I'm glad you said that because actually not long before I was talking to you, I I saw a bulletin from, I think it was uh, Arctic Slope (laughs) Regional Corporation or somebody that had put out a paper on how to cook a bunch of different traditional foods. And pickled muktuk was one of the things that they were talking about. So I'm glad that you mentioned it.
1: Yes. And I was so glad I did an interview. um, Excuse me. I did an interview with, for another project, not Coffee and Quok, but kind of uh, a grant that I received to interview folks in Barrow um, in January, was it the end of January, right when the sun came back. So I went up with a journalist and we did a couple of, um, podcast interviews and, and then we came back and interviewed one person who is from Barrow, but was living in Anchorage. And she brought, she's part of a whaling crew, Uyagok whaling crew. And she brought me pickled muck duck. And I was just like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> My mom, she makes really, really good pickled. And it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's like you have your own special pickling recipe. Right. Um, And my mom, you know, she has different approaches and I I love my mom's obviously and it's, you know, a little bit spicy. Um, It's got like orange peels in there too so it's got like a interest yeah like a citrusy kick
0: is she just uh like is the process just is she, is she boiling the muktuk for a while or is it just covered like is it raw when when she covers it with the vinegar or how does how does she do it
1: yeah so that's um it's kind of misleading because it's not actually pickled muktuk it's pickled unalik which is the boiled muktuk okay um so it isn't. Yeah, it's boiled first, um, and then so when a whale is first caught, and you've got like a bunch of unalik at home, you um, you cut it all up and you know put it into jars for pickling. Um, I'm not sure what her recipe is, but if if I did, I probably wouldn't share it on the radio because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's super secret. Okay, get, yeah, she'd get mad at you. <laughs> But yeah, I mean it's um and, and I'm just not really familiar with the pickling process. I don't know. I'm just a consumer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a uh, it's so good. And it it doesn't sound like when I think about pickled mukduck, like with a different person's brain, you know, like I remember I brought pickled mukduck with me to college in Arizona and I was like offering it to everyone. So I'm like, this is amazing, like you have to try it. But nobody was, you know, like jumping, chomping at the bit to, were they <laughs> to just, were try they, pickled muck <laughs> Were
0: they not interested or would they take a bite and no, kind of go, like, eh.
1: They were creeped out basically about really? eating whales. Yeah. Um, I had, you know, a couple of brave friends that just gave it a whirl. Um, but also what I think that my friends that were more interested and more excited and more um, willing to try were my Asian friends. Uh, cause it's, okay. you know, cause that some of sense. the dishes that they have yeah, in different Asian cultures or Pacific Islander cultures, like they're, it's similar, right? I used to kick like my AC up at school. I went to school in Arizona and in Florida later on. And so I would like kick up my AC um, so that it was super cold in my apartment and then like put a sweater on <laughs> <laughs> and then bust out my muck duck and start eating it. Like it, it only tastes good when it's cold
0: out. <laughs> right. So you mentioned, you mentioned when you were down South that some people like they wouldn't, they were, you said they were kind of like a little creeped out by it. Like, is that something that, that particularly down South where there's very little understanding of Alaskan native culture? Like, is that something that you had to like confront and overcome was people going, you know, how can you eat whale or?
1: Yeah, that was definitely uh, a tester. Um, it It's also because like, it's such a huge... Uh, part of a culture's identity is their food. And so to hear people talking about it in a way that was just kind of like disrespectful or like grossed out or whatever, it's like, at least I know where my food comes from. Like you go to the (laughs) store and get your meat, like, you know, and you don't know what's in it, where it came from or how many different animals is in this one piece. Like, you know, (laughs) so it was so strange to me. And I did, I really, I struggled with it at first because it's such a, you know, part, a big part of my identity. And, but yeah. You know, I know that some people were just uh, ignorant or they just didn't know. Um, and I just learned to put a filter. Like, if people uh, responded in an uh, in a way that they were interested and they sincerely wanted to learn about it and learn about my culture, then I was open to it. But other than that, like, I just really wouldn't get into it. I'm you weren't going like, to argue with them. Yeah, no.
0: <laughs> that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that was hard. but um, But I think it made me, like appreciate it more, you know, and to appreciate the process more because, um, it's so dangerous, you know, to go out on the ice. It's such a risk. Um, the water's so cold, you know, just, just within the last, I think year or two, we've had some fatalities of whalers out on the ice. Um, so it's a really risky sacrifice that these people make so that we have the food, um, in our community and that they can, you know, my mom can share with me here in Anchorage like a spoiled brat. But <laughs> um, it's just, it really makes me appreciate that more, you know, and to want to learn more and to want to be more connected in that way because it's uh, it's, it's just so nutritious, you know, it's so good for you. It's so much better than the crap that we're eating from the stores. <laughs> I saw, yeah, so.
0: I, there was an article in, in the in the I think it was in the Anchorage Daily News from a couple of years back where some guy went on a uh, a muktuk diet and and said he lost a <laughs> he lost a bunch of weight and he started feeling a lot better and
1: <laughs> that's amazing yes oh my god that's great it really does though like uh, I always feel like a boost of energy you know like it feels like it's good for me and it's what my people have been eating for so long so it's got to be good for me you know we've been surviving and thriving in that environment. So I did an episode on all about native foods on uh, coffee. That was, and pop.
0: that was the very first one that I ever listened to.
1: Oh, you did? And that's why uh, I listened
0: to it because I was like, Ooh, f- 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 food. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was right. fantastic.
1: Yeah, that was so good. And Tikhan was awesome. And I really love Leela. She's just such a sweetheart. But yeah, he was, he spoke a lot about, you know, to eat your local foods, the foods that uh you've been raised up on the you know foods that you have a relationship to a connection with because you know it's so culturally um you know paramount it's like at the the center of some cultures is this is food so he's like, yeah, if you're, you know, whether it's kimchi, whether it's muck duck, whether it's like salmon, like eat your traditional foods because they're good for you and they're locally sourced and they're seasonal most of the time. Right. So it's not like pumped up with a bunch of preservatives and gross stuff that they put in there or whatever.
0: <laughs> right.
1: But yeah, it's so cool. Like I, uh, I really enjoyed listening to t Um, and, We're working on – so I'm also um, involved with Alaska Native Media Group, uh, which is a nonprofit to support Alaska Native media and journalists and anybody, you know, social media, blah, blah, blah. We're working on a media campaign, social media campaign about gardening and gathering, um, which is, you know, uh, not something that we (laughs) normally do on the North Slope. (laughs) Right. (laughs) With all that permafrost around (laughs) – um, <laughs> isn't, isn't there, isn't
0: there like a tiny little sort of working farm now in, in Bethel or Kotzebue? I feel
1: yeah. Like. <laughs> so I, that's what I, I, haven't heard. Um, I know that there's, uh, I think a community garden in maybe Kotzebue, maybe, uh, one in Unalakleet. And then I know that there was, um, Rainy, she was doing one in, uh, Anukduvuk Pass, AKP, okay. um, I think she was growing potatoes and like other root vegetables but yeah I mean I'm still learning about it but we what we're doing is we're trying to bring those stories to light like that's so interesting you know yeah. just to just to exist uh, you know in Alaska and on the north slope or wherever it's it's got to be a unique process um to maintain maintain the plants and maintain the crops or herbs or whatever and so um we I think amid all the food shortages for from covid and like you know this Kind of um, paranoia of like buying everything at the store and whatever. So there's food shortages, right? And so, um, kind of wanted to just find and share these stories of reconnection with food and gardening and uh, empowering Alaska Native people to grow their own stuff if they need to or if they can. Right. Um, so we're pretty excited about that.
0: Are there any are there any greenhouses or high tunnels in in Barrow these days?
1: I, I don't think so. I know that a big, like, uh, popular thing, though, is the arrow gardens. You know, those little... I know my mom got hers from, like, Bed Bath & Beyond or something. It's like <laughs> <laughs> a little <Is> herb <laughs> arrow garden. Oh,
0: they, they have a little grow light on top of them? Yeah, yeah, one yeah of those. Okay, my yeah, mom, I have seen those.
1: Yeah, so you get, like, the little pods or whatever you can grow them. But, yeah, that's a... I know that several people in Barrow have those. I don't know if they have, you know, these bigger pieces yet, but that would be, that would be really cool, you know, and nutritious and healthy. And, um, and I'm just getting into it. Right. So I grew up on the North slope, so I don't really know anything about gardening, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) living here in Anchorage, you know, we have a pretty good growing season, especially now that the, it's gotten so much warmer within the last few years. So I'm kind of figuring it out too. So it's, it's kind of fun. I got myself a tiny little greenhouse, um, To sit on my patio. I live in a tiny apartment in West Anchorage in a fourplex. So, like, I don't have outdoor space. So, I, I, but I have like a tiny patio. So, I have like got got a little uh, greenhouse from Freddie's trying to grow some stuff.
0: Excellent. (laughs) Gardening. Yeah. Once you start, you kind of
1: can't stop. Yeah. Well, what we're trying to do is like, I feel like gardening is so Martha Stewart. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. It's not something you like tell people. Really.
0: <laughs> well, it's in, like in Homer, it's like, everybody does it. So really? It's, yeah, yeah okay. it's kind of it's kind of a thing. Like, that's what you talk about, you know, when you, when you well, that's what you used to talk about when you used to run into people.
1: But yeah, you know, it's like, so uh, I don't know, it doesn't seem cool. Right. So we're trying to figure out how to make that kind of stuff cool. And uh, empowering and inspiring.
0: Well, you know, you could figure out if, if you can figure out a way to grow the cabbage in Barrow to make the kimchi. Oh,
1: that would be amazing. There you oh go. my gosh. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Mind blown.
0: <laughs> and cabbage and cabbage is pretty easy to grow.
1: Really, okay, yeah.
0: yeah, of all the of all the vegetables it's it's one of the simplest, and it grows pretty well in northern climates because it's a cool weather crop, so
1: interesting, yeah, I would totally be down I think um my dad has a house in Fairbanks, um, and I think that he grew cabbage. Um, in his little like greenhouse back there in Fairbanks, and then yeah, and he also attempted to make his own kimchi. Yeah, um, and I think that it turned out. I can't have um, too much kimchi or too much fresh kimchi because of the ginger. I have like I think a mild allergy to ginger. Okay, but um, I know that I can eat the kimchi and barrow though, like from the Korean restaurant. Yeah, um, I don't get sick off of that. But like, any you can other... leave the
0: ginger out. There's yeah, there's a lot of different ways of making it.
1: Um, but yeah, I, and he loves like, and that that was born, his love of kimchi was born in Barrow from the Korean restaurant there. And so now he's making his own kimchi have with his native food.
0: I've got like, I've got like 30 chili peppers in my greenhouse right now, pepper plants right now. So, so if I, if I dry some, some chili and some of them are actually a Korean variety that are used to make kimchi. So if, uh, if I get it, if I get a harvest actually, which is, you never know, um, (laughs) I'll send you some dried, some dried uh, some dried chilies and then you can grow some cabbage up in up in Barrow and have have Muktuk and all Alaskan kimchi oh my gosh
1: (laughs) that's like the dream holy cow
0: (laughs) (laughs) well thank you thank you so much for talking to me about Muktuk because uh, I can tell that you like it and it makes me want to like it too
1: (laughs) (laughs) well hopefully you can try it someday someday Cheers. All
0: right. Thank you so much, Alice. I will talk to you you in the future. Take care. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Check the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's hosted and produced by Jeff Lockwood. Today's guest was Alice Konick Glenn, host and producer of the podcast Coffee and Quack. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10, Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Quatuor Ebain. This is the 5th episode of the Spring 2020 season of Check the Pantry. Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI Public Radio website at kbbi.org slash support to help produce programs like
2: mm